Would you turn in your Bibles? We will be in Psalm 131, and I'm going to invite up Leslie Casserly. That's Psalm 131. Thank you. Please stand for the reading of God's Word. Psalm 131. My heart is not proud, O Lord. My eyes are not haughty. I do not concern myself with great matters or things too wonderful for me. But I have stilled and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother, like a weaned child is my soul within me. O Israel, put your hope in the Lord, both now and forevermore. That's the word of God. How's it going? Good morning. Good to see you all. Nice to be back. If you don't know, I was gone for three weeks in Africa with my family. Um, we just got back Thursday night. We just dropped off our, my goodness, sixth grader this morning to go to Hume, which is a quick turnaround from Africa to Hume. I can promise you that much. Um, I'm not sure what time it is right now, and, um, but I wanted to share some stories about our trip before I jump into this uh, beautiful little psalm that we're going to look at today. Um, but we had a fantastic trip. Uh, so Carrie and I and our three girls uh, went to Zambia, where, you know, we're really part we partner with Northwest University, Moffitt, and Doreen Zimba. Many of you know this, but um, Grace was part of the launch of that university years ago, right when I came on staff, actually. Uh, it had started before then, back in, like, 2003. And um, I got to go to Zambia in 2005 by myself when I was a single guy, about, about 27 at the time. And to go back, you know, this many years later with my family was it was just a dream come true. And we had truly, the, the, my ex, all my expectations were exceeded on this trip. I mean, it was so beautiful. And I know many of you were praying for us. You were praying for me. We felt that very much. And, um, and the Lord just blessed it. And it was so much fun and so meaningful. And so, um, you know, we're still transitioning back. But it was so good. I want to I show you some, some, uh, some pictures of our trip. So there's the happy couple right there, Moffin and Doreen, if you don't know them, uh, with our girls. That little one uh, next to Josie, my youngest, is Grace. She was uh, one of the kids of one of the faculty at, at Northrise. Um, but so we didn't rough it, turns out, in, in uh, Zambia. Um, they just built um, what's called the alumni house. That's what this is. It's got six bedrooms. We were the only ones staying there. They just finished it. So we're one of the first families that will stay there. And the place is amazing. Um, they gave us, they, we had like, someone cleaning our stuff. We had people bring us three meals a day. We were living it up in uh, North Rice. Um, so so uh, the, the main reason I went was to teach a class on biblical interpretation at North Rice. Uh, you can see they're still distancing. They're still masking a little bit. Um, so I got to teach a class, and it was different than I expected. It ended up being a class of pastors. So there's about 45. I thought it was going to be all North Rice students, but it was mainly pastors who came. It was a two-week class, about three and a half hours a day. So it's, a, it's like a summer intensive, although it's winter for them right now. Uh, so these pastors were receiving a certificate uh, in biblical interpretation, and it was so fun to kind of teach how to read the Bible. My whole idea is 
we read in context. Like, you can't just take a verse and make it say what you want. You've got to learn how to read in context, and we spent two weeks talking about that. But there's, a, there's such a need for that kind of training in Zambia. There's a lot of just sort of rogue pastors doing their thing, as there is in America. So there's such a need for learning to truly read, interpret well, understand the Bible. And these are people who are preaching it every Sunday. And so it's such a joy to teach pastors how to understand and, and then teach the Bible. Um, I thought I was going to be teaching you know, to people in their early 20s. I was probably on the young end of who was in the room, uh, which I'm very familiar with out on Sunday morning. So it was, I wasn't out of my element there. Um, I, I, here's, the, here's the young guy. There's the young guy there. Um, I'm going to show you a video of this at the end, but it was so much fun. I was like, I stayed a day ahead of them, so I'd like teach for three and a half hours, I'd go back to the, I'd have lunch, and I'd spend like four hours getting ready for the next day. So for two weeks, I was pretty slammed. I got to teach, uh, preach both Sundays that we were in Indola at, at Moffin and Dreen's church. So we arrived on a Friday, I taught that Sunday, and then at the end of the service, the pastor said, hey, you want to do this again next week? And I said, okay, let's do it again. So, so I had two weeks of a lot of teaching, a lot of fun. Um, uh, Carrie and the girls spent uh, their time going to some of the schools and orphanages in the area. And so Josie and Adele and, and Cora got to, and they, you know, they're, they, uh, education is in English there. So they have these, you know, beautiful sort of British-based, you know, English accents. And so the girls had so much fun. Uh, there's Carrie reading a story to some of the kids in the class. Uh, there's Josie and a new friend. Uh, I don't know what they're working on there. I can't tell what it says on there, but they're drawing or writing on words, working on words. Uh, they played, I guess they played outside um, duck, duck, chicken is what they called it. So they, they didn't know goose, so we turned it into duck, duck, chicken, um, which was great. Uh, there's Cora and Joe's. They were serving the meal. That's a classic. That white dish is in Shima. It's like a classic Zambian grain-based uh, food. That was one of Cora's highlights is getting to serve the meal to the kids. Uh, let's see. And then here's Carrie with, so, you know, Doreen started this ministry just recently uh, to young women, kind of 18 to 25-year-olds called Mercy House. And so Carrie got to spend some time with them, and she had like, a, she said, my, my wife is a, a counselor by trade, and she had a day that was like, she said, this is the longest day of counseling I've ever had in my life. Um, but it was so great. So she got to spend time with those women and just hear their story. And um, so uh, that's what we did in, in Dola. For, we were there for two weeks. And then we get on this little, this little plane here and uh, spent two days on safari, uh, also in Zambia, a place called Lower Zambezi. Um, my goodness, you guys, uh, see our friend in the background? So we stayed two nights at the most amazing place right on the uh, Zambezi River. This is our back porch. We have our own little private pool that was not heated. It was, it was like an ice bath, basically. But, um, and there were like wild elephants would come up and drink out of the pool. It was uh, amazing. We had so much fun uh, with the animals. And then, um, and then we spent our last couple days at, um, in Livingston, which is anyone who goes to North Rise usually ends, you end up in Livingston at the end of the trip. Uh, that's where Victoria Falls is right there. It's actually the biggest uh, waterfall in terms of volume of water in the world. And uh, so we spent like three or four days at the end just enjoying that. And this is so fun. So we stayed at a hotel in Livingston. Uh, second to last night, we bump into this gentleman right here who is Malenga Chella. 
um, who I met 15 years ago at Northrise when he was a student. You guys, many of you have met Malanga. He's been here. He, got, he was in prison for two years. You know his story. And he happened to be in Livingston with a, a group of pastors from Phoenix who had gone down to do a seminar at his church. And so we just bumped into a guy who we love, who we never expected, and they were in the same hotel as us. And so we had a fun couple minutes with him. Um, so epic trip. I think, I think what's next, I want to show you a video of, so my final day of teaching, uh, the pastors wanted Carrie and the girls to come to class. They wanted to give us a gift. And so they gave Carrie and I like traditional um, Zambian like shirts and attire, and then they gave us some coffee mugs, basically. But this was one of the most emotional moments of the trip for me. Um, I'll just play the video. They kind of, they brought us up front, and then they just broke out in song. And, and they kind of presented us with these gifts, and it was such a sweet moment. So here it is. I love it. Oh, he's grooving. That's so good. Oh, it was like, it kind of all happened. And I, so, you know, I'm, a, I'm kind of an emotional robot. Some of you know this about me. I was just like, it just like after two, two weeks of being with these people and um, spent a lot of time with them. And it just was this beautiful, amazing moment. Um, so let me see if I have anything else. Yeah, I, I want to just, just one last thought on this trip. And I'd love to, you know, share stories with you one-on-one um, -on -one and all that. But, um, oops. See so if I can go back. Where's Moffat and Dream? Okay. Um, Moffat and Dream, just, just um, it, it was a really uh, powerful thing to be there. I mean, Northrise, what, what, is, what God has done through Northrise University um, at, this, at the campus, but also the influence that Northrise has in the larger community, like to bring those 45 pastors together. There's not a lot else in the country that would do something like that. And so it was... I had a lot of time just to reflect on Moffat and Doreen. And, um, you know, they are the most unassuming, you know, think of Moffat, one of the gentlest, kindest men you'll ever meet. And I've always thought, like, gentle, kind men don't start universities. Like, like there's got to be some, like, closet, angry person that gets stuff done. Like, you know, the Moffat that no one ever sees. You know, like, how, how are you... Like, a guy like me, is, I'm a pretty, you know, gentle... I'm never going to start a university and just create something that big. And I've kind of, it's never made sense to me how that all works. And as I spent time with them, I realized, no, that's, that is truly who they are. <laughs> they are just, they're these kind, gentle, very hardworking people. And so it was a testimony to me of what, um, of the Lord's favor, honestly. Like just, the, the, the Lord gave them a vision for this, for this university. And they shared that story. Like they, they were on, at a home church gathering, you know, whatever, 30 years ago, on the same night, the Lord gave, planted in their minds this idea to start a, a school. And they both went home that night and shared it with each other. Like God gave them a vision. And then they've been faithful to that for however many years, get, coming to America to get educated, going back. And so it, for me, it was just like, oh, God's hand is in this. And when God's hand's in this, he can use whoever he wants. And it was this combination of the Lord's blessing 
a lot of just faithful, hard work. And they, they're so busy. Or, I mean, they, they just work so hard. And then also the power of relationships. And I think, Sean, you would testify to that in, your, in, in the ministry down south. But they have formed so many relationships. They formed relationships with you all here, right, that started Northrise. And they have so many partnerships and connections. And so just seeing humble, faithful, hardworking people who love others really well and God blessing that, what God can do in, in an ordinary person. And so it was very inspiring to me that, um, you know, God has placed whatever he's placed on all of our hearts and, um, and he can bless those things and um, produce remarkable fruit. So such, an, such a, just a personally inspiring uh, example to me. And again, I just want to just thank you all um, for your prayers. We've very much felt your prayers and felt your support. And I know many of you were thinking of us and praying for us. And um, we feel very loved by you all and very supported. And so it's so fun to be able to come home and be with my family here and people who love me and who I love. And that this is, this is the work of my life is, is um, being with you all. And what a, what a remarkable privilege and blessing that is. So um, thank you all for letting us do that and uh, letting us come back. And we're glad to be back. And yeah, yeah. So, <clears throat> so I don't know if anything will make sense today. I'm, I'm still in weird timing and, you know, confused a bit myself. But um, so that's why I chose a really short psalm to talk about today. <laughs> Thank you, Les, for that reading. Um, so what we're going to do this summer is, you know, we have two months of summer, essentially, since I, I got back a little late. Um, but we're going to look at... Um, some psalms this, this summer. Um, and uh, I know for many of us, I would guess the psalms are some of the most beloved, you know, passages in Scripture. And a lot of us, they, they've meant, various psalms have meant a ton to us. So in some ways, this is simple, accessible, uh, and wonderful and beloved. Uh, and at the same time, um, any of you have read the psalms, you know, the psalms just present this smattering of emotions and issues and situations, you get joy and peace and anger and frustration and confusion and revenge, like all the whole scope of human emotion and the human heart just kind of spilling out on the page. And that's really going to be the theme, uh, the, 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 my kind of my, my idea is these are psalms from the heart. <laughs> and we're going to see every possible uh, issue and emotion of the human heart coming out in the Psalms. And, and I want to invite us this summer into this journey uh, of the heart uh, through prayer with the Lord, through these Psalms, who, um, uh, with our God who, who sees everything that's in our hearts. He, he sees it and he knows it. And so he invites us, bring it, bring it to me. I have room for you. I already know it. And I love you. I love you in, all, in the midst of all your stuff. And so what we're going to do is go on this journey of the heart in prayer uh, through the Psalms uh, this summer. So I hope you're up for that. It's not too long of a series, but I'm really looking forward to it. And I have some selfish motives uh, in doing this, which I'll tell you at the end. Um, it's not that interesting, actually, but I'm trying to keep your interest as much as I can. <laughs> so um, I want to start, it'll be, my reason for starting with a Psalm, you'll, you'll see in a second, um, but Psalm 131, one of the shortest psalms uh, in the Psalter, of course, only three verses. And um, uh, there's, there's two reasons why I wanted to start with this psalm. And, and the first is, is just, the, for me, the, the, the personal draw uh, that I feel towards this psalm. 
that this psalm offers this, this really beautiful and uh, simple invitation, doesn't it? And there's, there's two things that, that are really uh, delightful to me, uh, inviting to me about this psalm. One is the, the relationship with the Lord that, um, that the person, in this case David, who wrote this, clearly has, right? There's just this beautiful picture of a relationship with the Lord. All is calm. All is, is at peace. There's a deep sense of abiding trust. And the image here that he presents um, in verse 2 is the image of a child with its mother, right? It's a very peaceful, calm image of a child. We can even think of a, a, a young child sitting on the lap of its mother, and there's trust and affection and intimacy. Specifically, he says, I'm like a weaned child with its mother, right? And I actually had to remind myself, what, what is a weaned? What does that word mean? What's weaned? What's an unweaned child? And what's a weaned child? And I had to go online to figure this out. And um, I'm just going to read to you what I found uh, at one of my first searches. You could do this yourself. Uh, so first, the unweaned child, right, is, is, a, is a child who's still totally dependent on its mom for breastfeeding. That's what an unweaned child is. So let me just read the description. Uh, and we've all seen this. The baby is rooting around looking for something, really anything to latch onto, right? It wants its milk and it wants it now. There's no reasoning with a baby that is looking to nurse. You can't assure it of its mother's love and tell it that things will be okay, right? If that baby doesn't get what it wants in a timely manner, you and everyone in earshot will know the baby's complaint. That's an unweaned child, but this psalm is talking about a weaned child. And here's what the person describes, a weaned child. I'm also sure that you've seen a baby who no longer nurses sitting in the lap of its mother. It is oftentimes just happy to be near the mom, not wanting anything but to be close. This baby has been weaned. It doesn't rely on its mother's body to produce the food that sustains it. This baby is content to lean against the mother without needing to be attached and taking from the mom. Okay? So he's saying, my soul is like a, a weaned child, meaning I'm not in that place of that desperateness of an unweaned child, but I have what I would call this learned trust in my God. Like, like a child has this learned trust in mom as, as they've grown up just a little bit past the, the weaning phase. And I love that picture of, of learned trust in our God. And, and the other thing that I'm really drawn to uh, in this is this, I would call it the sense of self-mastery, if I can use that phrase, that the psalmist has in this. Like they, they've, they've been able to take what's going on inside of them and, and master it, con control it a bit. So look at verse 1. My heart is not proud, Lord. My, not, my eyes are not haughty. I don't concern myself with great matters or things too wonderful for me. It seems like this person has been able to, to subdue the, the pride and ambition um, in their lives, right? And, and, and pride and ambition is something that's so pervasive in the human heart, right? And it, it gets us into all sorts of troubles. And the psalmist, at least in this moment, says, I, I've been able to kind of still that. I've been able to kind of quiet the voices of ambition today and just rest calmly and I think also he's, he's been able to, to quiet the voice, voices of fear and anxiety. Look at verse 2. I have calmed and quieted myself or my soul. Right? The, those, those voices of anxiety and restlessness and ambition, I, I've been able to calm those. And I'm at peace. I'm content. And so I love just the, the, the image that this psalm conveys of I've got this delightful relationship with God where I've learned to trust him 
to depend on him like a, like a child does with its mom. And I've, I've gained a sense of ability to control the, the voices and the, all the stuff that goes on inside of me. I've subdued it, and all is calm and peace. And, and hopefully, we, we've all experienced moments like this in our lives of prayer with God, where we do experience these moments of profound peace and calm. And so I wanted to start um, with that invitation because it, it draws me. Um, but the other reason I want to start, and the main reason I want to start with this, this psalm is because of, um, having said that, the utter disconnect that many of us feel <laughs> between our actual prayer lives and the description of this psalm, right? Like, this is a wonderful, idealistic picture of being with the Lord in prayer, um, but my guess is that is far from the reality of your actual prayer life. Like when you wake up on a Tuesday morning and at 6.30 you have those 10 minutes to pray and what that actually feels like and what your experience of that actually is, my guess is oftentimes at least it's a big disconnect between your actual experience and this beautiful picture of prayer. Yes? Anyone else? Okay. And I was thinking, you know, we just got back from a family vacation and what I'm about to say is actually not indicative of this particular vacation because we had an amazing vacation together. But I was thinking um, prayer is a lot like a family vacation um, in the sense of like you have, we, we have this picture, right? Imagine, especially when, if you are part of a family that was in my family stage, right? Now we've got some young kids, right? But you can, many of you can think of times where either you were the kid or you were parents of those kids. But with, with family vacations, right, you, at least if you're like me, you have this idealistic picture of what a family vacation is going to be like, right? You're, going to, you're usually going someplace beautiful. You're going to see some nature or some, some historic landmarks, and you're picturing the beauty and the, and the fun of that, and then you're picturing being together in the relationships, and you're going to have these meaningful conversations with your kids, and they're going to have more time together, and they're going to come together, right? And it's going to be a Griswold family Christmas, right? It's going to be this, this beautiful time. Uh, and the problem with family vacations is you, you bring your family on the vacation, <laughs> right? So you, if you're married, you bring your marriage on the vacation. And so you're driving and you're trying to navigate you know, roads you've never been on, and that always creates you know, challenges between husband and wife. And you bring all your longstanding issues and having to make decisions every day and just the issues of your marriage, they, they come with you on vacation. And then your kids come with you on vacation too, right? And they're kind of incessant, you know, bickering with each other, uh, their chronic lack of gratitude. You know, you'll have these moments like, we were just snorkeling, you know, in, in, the, in the Hawaiian Islands, and now you're arguing about who gets the back seat in this, right? Like, we just served kids who get one meal a day, and now you're complaining because you don't like the dessert that's on your plate, you know? Right? These moments of like, oh, this is so painful. And, and I feel like that's that's kind of what prayer is like, right? Like, we, we all probably picture uh, a life of prayer where, where we bring our very spiritual selves to God, and, and we have, a, and we have a, a beautiful spiritual experience that is something like Psalm 131, right? That's deeply satisfying and life-giving and brings peace and joy. Uh, but the problem with prayer... <laughs> is that we always bring ourselves to prayer, right? And, and for most of us, uh, unlike David in this psalm, we have not learned to still and quiet our souls, okay? That is not our consistent experience. 
And so for most of us, the reality is if we stop long enough to be still for 10 minutes, we immediately face an inner sea of distraction, right, of restlessness, of anxiety, of resentments, of anger, of all sorts of complexities of emotion. Uh, or just the fact that we don't really want to pray all that much. We, we, we want to want to pray, but we don't really want to pray that much. And so we, we don't have a sense of self-mastery over our hearts. And so you stop and you're confronted with the reality of your heart. And that's not quite the idealistic picture you have. And the other thing that we bring into prayer is not just ourselves, but we bring our relationship with God into prayer, the guy who we're praying to, right? And so that means we bring what we actually think about God into prayer. Not what we say we think, but what our hearts actually think about God, that's the person that we're actually praying to. And for some of us, we like that guy, or we like parts of that guy. But for most of us, there's, there's parts of that that are, that are hard. We have disappointments with the person that we're praying to. There, there are old wounds uh, based on ways that he hasn't come through in ways that we wanted him to, right? And, and we will pray out of what we actually think about this person that we're praying to. And maybe even more than that, we bring what we think he thinks about us into prayer, okay? And that's the big one. What, what our hearts actually think God actually feels about me. And for most of us, that, that picture of what we think God thinks of us is, is not all great, <laughs> okay? Again, we might get the right answers on the test, but what my heart actually thinks he thinks is usually, well, I think he's probably, I would think, somewhat disappointed with me. Um, I think he's probably somewhat critical of a lot of the things I've been doing lately. Um, I would imagine he might even be annoyed with me at times. That's what my heart actually thinks. Um, or what I actually think, I, I know he has, I say this a lot, but I know he has to love me. I just don't think he likes me very much, right? I mean, a good God has to love his kids. I, I just, so yeah, he, he, there's that kind of sacrificial, I, just, I don't think he likes me that much though. Um, and it's just not a lot of fun to be with someone who you don't think likes you a lot, right? And so we, we, um, we bring all of that into prayer. And so for many of us, prayer is, it's like a family vacation, <laughs> right? There's this, there's, we have this image um, that sounds great, but the reality uh, falls far short. And if that's you, and that's certainly me at times, um, my consolation and the comfort that I have is not only how much Psalm 131 feels like a disconnect from our own lives at time, times, but how much Psalm 31, 131 feels like a disconnect from the other Psalms <laughs> at various times. Right? This is a moment of peace and calm and stillness that David has uh, with the Lord. And there are plenty of other psalms that do that. But there are others that are so different. In fact, more of them are on the other side, where the psalmist is bringing confusion and anger uh, and a sense of being abandoned, a sense of being in deep pain and sad, or even desiring revenge, Right? It, it, there are these spiritual prayers like this one, and then there's what I would call some shockingly unspiritual prayers in the Psalms. Okay? Things, I, honestly, sometimes I'll read a prayer, I'm like, I, I can't believe that person just said that, and that that actually got recorded, and that got put into our sacred writings. 
That's crazy that someone had the gall to say that, and then God had the gall to say, yep, I want that one in my word. Wow. Let me just give you, I wanted to give you just like a, a smattering of some of the emotions that we're going to experience this summer. Some of the, just what's going on in the heart. Of course, you have psalms of trust and peace, right? Here's some famous ones. You are my hiding place. You protect me from trouble and surround me with songs of deliverance, right? We, I sang that one. Did you guys sing that one in the Philippines? Did you sing it in the round? No? Yeah, you did? Yeah, okay. Um, the Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Have you ever had moments like that where you realize, if God's on my side, I don't need to be afraid of anything. Those are amazing moments. Uh, there's moments of joy and gratitude. I love the Lord. He heard my voice. He heard my cry for mercy, right? Obviously, God has just answered some prayer of David's. We all have had that experience. Oh, God, you're so good. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. But then you have psalms of what I would call unfulfilled longing, right? Here's another famous one, also sung in the Philippines. As a deer, yeah, we did. All right, um, as a deer desperately pants for water. Oh, my soul, my soul is so thirsty for you, God. Implication, I'm not being filled, right? I'm thirsty. I long for you, and I'm not experiencing you the way I want. Um, spiritual confusion. Um, two of the most common questions in the Psalms are this first question, why? And the second question, how long? Okay, these are lament songs. Why? Um, think about this. Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble, God? Okay, think about what he's saying. God, it feels like you disappear every time my life gets hard. That's what he's saying, right? How long? How long will you forget me? How long will you turn a deaf ear to me? Wow. God, it feels like I've been abandoned. I've been forgotten. Uh, you have psalms of sadness and despair. All night long, I flood my bed with weeping and drench my couch with tears. Okay, this is not a weaned child anymore, right? Uh, Psalm 88, one of the darkest songs. You've taken my companions and loved ones from me. One of the darkest statements in the Bible. The darkness is my closest friend. My friends are gone. The only friend I have now is darkness, Lord. Uh, and then my favorite, um, songs of uh, anger and revenge, okay? Let me just read to you part of Psalm 109, okay? It's clearly, this psalmist has been wronged deeply by somebody, and they are calling on God. They're basically calling curses on their enemy to God. Appoint an evil man to oppose him. And I'm going to give you half of the curses. And he's basically just whatever I could think of saying bad about this person, I'm going to say right now. Uh, let, him, let an accuser stand at his right hand. When he's tried, let him be found guilty. And may his prayers condemn him. May his days be few. And not only I don't want you know, pain on him, but him and his children and their children's children. May his children be fatherless and his wife a widow. May his children be wandering beggars. May they be driven from their ruined homes. Okay? Prayers most of us would never, ever think in our best moments of praying. And, and as I said, I'm, I'm amazed that these prayers were written down and recorded and that God saw fit to bring these into our sacred scriptures. And as I look at, to me, the message of the Psalms, thinking about all of that, if I had to sum up the invitation of the Psalms from God, it's in two words, it's not very spiritual, but the, the invitation from the Psalms is this, bring it. <laughs> it is our God, and, and having these written and recorded and put into our sacred scriptures, we have a God who says to his people, bring it. You bring it. Whatever you've got, you bring it. 
Bring your joy, bring your gratitude, bring your adoration, bring your worship, bring your sadness, bring your confusion, bring your despair, bring your desire for revenge. Whatever is going on in that heart of yours is fair game with me. I can handle it, okay? I want to hear it. In fact, I already see it, <laughs> but I want to hear it. I'm inviting you to bring it, okay? Let me say that in a bit more spiritual way. Psalm 62.8. If I had to sum up the Psalms, it would be in Psalm 62.8. Pour out your hearts to him. Right? Oh, Israel, pour out your hearts to him. Uh, this is, I think, the unique contribution of the Psalms to our prayer lives. Okay? And this is not a series on prayer. Uh, we're, mainly we're talking about prayer, but it's specifically a series on prayer through the Psalms. Okay? So I could also bring in the prayers of Paul. I, of course, could bring in the Lord's Prayer, and that would, that would round out some things that need to be said about prayer for sure. But we're talking about the Psalms uh, this summer, and the, the message of the Psalms is bring it. Pour out your hearts. Come as you are. Come raw. Come honest. Bring whatever is going on in that little messy heart of yours because the Lord has room for it. And to, to go back to our, our verse today, one way to think of that is, one image would be of God saying, I am like the perfect mom, okay? The perfect mom who says, just crawl up in my lap, and honey, I just want to hear your heart. You just share it. You can cry in my lap. You can, you can get angry. I, I have room for you. I, have, I won't judge you. I am like the perfect mom who will listen to you and say, I understand. Yes, have it out. Just cry. Have a good cry, and I'm here for you. I'm your refuge, Okay, that's the image of the psalm. I think another image that I want to bring in as I think about the whole thing is um, not just God as this perfect mom, but prayer as a, as a wrestling match. <laughs> That'd be the other image. If one is crawl up into my lap, I can take anything you can say. I will love you unconditionally. The other one is get into the ring with me and let's have it out a little bit, right? Let's, let's duke this out. Let's work this out because it's in there for you. So let's bring it out and let's have it out together. And I was thinking this week of the story of Jacob, right, in Genesis, in that, that bizarre, mysterious encounter where Jacob, in the middle of the night, he met the angel of the Lord, and he wrestled with God, like in embodied form, all night long. There's this, this wrestling match. And um, if you don't know the story, it's, it's a fascinating story, but... Um, uh, this was towards the end of Jacob's story, and he had left his hometown for years. Now he was coming back, married to two wives uh, with his, you know, 12 sons and, and daughters, and he was about to meet his older brother Esau, who he had cheated out of the birthright, out of, and so he was worried. So he sent everyone off ahead of him, and then he spent a night alone, and all night long he wrestled with this man. And as the match goes on, the man just touches his hip, and basically dislocates it, dislocates it or does some sort of magic touch that Jacob realizes, I'm not wrestling with an ordinary mortal. I must be wrestling with someone divine. And so then he says, would you bless me? You're, you're divine, please bless me. And he says, I'm not letting go of you until you bless me. And so the Lord essentially blesses Jacob and he gives Jacob a new name. He says, you will now be named Israel. And the name Israel means wrestles with God. Because you have wrestled with God and with man and have prevailed. And when you read the whole story of Jacob, you realize that night of wrestling, that actually was like a, it was a perfect summary of his entire life. Like his whole life, he had been wrestling with God. And if you know Jacob's story, Jacob was not like the most 
um, endearing character in the Bible, okay? He was a swindler. He was a cheat. He, uh, he, he tricked his brother out of his birthright. He and his, he and his mom made this move where, right, they, 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 he swapped him for his, his brother, and, and, and his dad gave him the blessing instead. But his life experienced a lot of poetic justice. He got cheated by his uncle. His uncle swapped wives on him on the wedding night. Remember that story? He came back around. But his, his whole life was a life of messy, complex wrestling with the Lord. That, that, that night of wrestle just kind of perfectly embodied. But he came out of that night into uh, a new day where he met his brother Esau. He came out wounded, but blessed and renamed, having this intimate encounter with God, coming to know God better and coming to know himself much better. And I think that, that picture for me is, is a perfect picture of prayer, especially the way the Psalms pray. And as, as, we, as we bring our hearts to the Lord, it, it's like that. It can be this wrestling match where we contend with Him, we fight Him, we, we work with Him, we trust Him, we are angry with Him, and it's this, this fight. And if we do that, if we, if we dive into that life of prayer, um, we will be wounded in the process, but we will also be blessed. And we will come to know ourselves as we actually are. We will come to know our Lord as he actually is. And so there's this beautiful invitation in the Psalms, which is, bring it. Pour out your hearts. I'm like the perfect mother who, who can hear anything and just embrace you. And I'm like, a, I'm like someone who, well, I'm, I'm ready. Let's duke it out. This is, this is what this is all about. And so that's what the Psalms is. It's this invitation. That's the invitation of this, of this summer is to, to pour out your hearts to the Lord. And, and what I love about the Psalms is they're not just an invitation, but, but these Psalms themselves are like these spirit-inspired containers that we can pour out our hearts. That They're already created for us, right? Like there's, do you have anger? Well, there's a container for that. Do you have, do you have confusion? There's a container for that. Do you have joy? There's a container for that. And so we can begin to, pray these prayers as, as ways of saying better than we could say it ourselves, but perfectly capture the feeling of our hearts. Okay, the Psalms are, are also songs, right? They're put to music. You think about what, what songs do. Most of us in this room have at some point, you know, you've gone through a breakup, right? When you're young, you go through some powerful breakup and your heart is feeling all these things. And then that song comes on, right? That you thought was cheesy before. And it's like, oh, it's this is it. It says it exactly. What, how do they know? This is what my heart is feeling, right? And that's what the Psalms can do. That's what songs do on Sunday. Sometimes we'll come in here and we'll sing a song. You're like, oh my gosh, that song was the perfect container for my heart right now. And that's what these Psalms are. They're, they're spirit-inspired containers, channels to express our hearts to the Lord. That's what they were for Jesus himself, Okay, Jesus grew up praying the Psalms. The Psalms were his heart language to God. And so when he ends up on the cross, at his moment of desperation and hour, and he's crying out from his heart, do you know, of the last seven statements he makes, two of them are direct quotes from Psalms. Psalm 22, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me, right? He'd, he'd prayed that prayer his whole life, and now it comes out in his moment of crisis. And then what I think his final word was, Father, into your hands, I commit my spirit. That's a psalm too. These, this has become the heart language of Jesus himself. So what I want to do over the next eight weeks or so is pray the psalms with Jesus, right? And here's the invitation. Bring it. 
in prayer, pour out your hearts to him. And I'll, I'll, I'll leave you with this. Um, I said there's something selfish in this for me. And what is, the reason I'm doing this now is I have been sensing this invitation from God for about a year. <laughs> Dave, I want more of your heart. I want you to bring more of your heart to me when we are together in prayer. And I have, I don't know if I've resisted that or delayed that or just not gotten around to it, but I have sensed this is the time for me personally to do that. So maybe if I do a sermon series on it, <laughs> I'll be forced to do it. And I'll just tell you, for me, um, I am, you, know, you guys, I share who I am to you often. I'm a pleaser. <laughs> That's kind of by nature. And so for me, prayer, uh, I, it's easy for me to go into pleasing. And I want to be good. And I want to do the right things. And I don't like it when things go wrong. So um, I can be easily anxious and easily fearful. But in my attempts to please, that, that can be kind of a cover-up for getting at, yeah, but what is actually going? I'm just trying to make sure things are going okay. And that's all a cover for, yeah, but what's going on down here? And so for me, there's certain emotions that are very easy to access, like fear and anxiety, okay? <laughs> those, are, those are on the surface. I can find them. But there's other emotions like anger or sadness that I have a really hard time accessing. I don't even experience myself repressing them. I just don't experience them. But I know that they're there. And I believe that God wants me to discover that with him because I think there's something that he has for me in those emotions. And so that, I think, is, is part of what my journey needs to be. And, I, and for all of us, there's various reasons why we might hold back our hearts from the Lord, okay? We might be pleasers. Some of us may just think, I, I'm more of a cerebral person. I'm more of a mind person than a heart person. Um, I think even for thinkers, maybe even especially for thinkers, <laughs> there's a journey of the heart. Uh, some of us, we have old wounds, uh, old resentments towards the Lord because of things that have happened in our lives that didn't go the way we want. And that keeps us from bringing our hearts to God because it doesn't feel safe. Uh, we've done it before and it, it didn't work. Okay? There, there's a million reasons why we might not um, want to bring our hearts to God. But that, that, that is the invitation. Um, bring our hearts to God. And the other thing, I, I want to do this, this, this year. About a, a year ago, Mark recommended this book, Where Prayer Becomes Real. I think it was last summer. We were still outside when he mentioned this book. And this is not about the Psalms. It's about prayer in general. But it's about bringing our actual selves to the Lord. And so I've been wanting to read this book for over a year. Selfishly, I thought, I need an excuse to read it. And this sermon series became an excuse to do that. So I'm, I'm about four chapters into this. But you may want to, um, I know Mark really highly recommended this. So this might be part of the, the journey. Undoubtedly, I will quote from this book uh, throughout the next couple months. Life-changing. Life Good. Yeah. It really, I mean, I'm four chapters in. It's it's. It's really great. Um, so I'd invite you to that. And then the, the last thought I had is, for a lot of us, summers are times where all of our spiritual rhythms get out of whack, right? Like our, our small groups are done. So excuses we have to study the Bible or read because we're going to show up to a group, those are gone for the summer. And we need those rhythms. And so what I want to do this summer is also, maybe when your usual rhythms are off, I want to invite you into a rhythm of prayer this summer. And it's going to be simple. I, I, I'm, I'm going to do this myself. It's just three times a week, okay? Maybe Monday, Wednesday, Friday, however you want to do that. And just give yourself like 15 minutes of, and these are of, of bringing prayer before the Lord. And not, not so much petition 
and intercession, which is so important. But for this, this will be getting at what is going on in me, Lord. How can I bring what's going on in me before you today so that you can minister to me, so that we can have a conversation about what's actually happening, kind of prayers of the heart, psalm kind of prayers is specifically um, what I want to encourage us to. So each week what I'm going to do is um, I'm going to, after I teach, I'm going to... Um, I'm going to give you a set of like prayer prompts, okay? They're, these are out in the foyer, um, and it's got a day one prayer prompt, day two prayer prompt, day three, okay? 15 minutes, three days a week, if you want to engage in this, that will just kind of get you, just here's the conversation to have with the Lord in prayer today. Um, the easiest way to get these, I'm, I put some out there, but if you just go to our, our homepage, we have the banners, like they're the, right, the, the uh, announcement banners, and you'll see this Psalm series there. Just click on it. And that will send you to the PDF of this week's three prayer prompts, okay? So I wanted to make this also practical and something that you could engage in uh, weekly. So that's the invitation of, of the summer. Pour out your hearts to him, for our God is a refuge. Let me pray for us, and then we'll sing. Well, Father, as we embark on um, the beginning of this summer series... I pray that we would all experience a fresh invitation or maybe even a fresh challenge from you to, towards deeper intimacy, towards deeper uh, honesty, and to, to bring our actual selves before you, not our <laughs> spiritualized selves or some version of ourselves that we think you want or we think we need to be, but that we might present ourselves to you exactly as we are, and then we might actually experience the gospel through prayer, which is that it's by grace you have been saved through faith. That, that, that's my deepest prayer, that this summer, as we engage in prayer, we would simply experience the gospel again, that we are forgiven, that there's no condemnation, that we are your sons and daughters adopted in Christ Jesus, and we might experience your affection your kindness, your gentleness, and even your delight. Not just your love, but your delight in each one of us because you made us as we are. So Lord, would, you, would your spirit work in our hearts and minds even this week and this summer as we engage this? We pray in Jesus' name, amen.